Hello and welcome. I'm Laura Briggs with the Vegan Fitness Runner podcast, where I'll be talking all things running, health and fitness, and what it means to be an active vegan. My guest on this episode of Vegan Fitness Runner is Nikki Krishina. She's a record-holding ultramarathoner who's completed the likes of the Marathon des Sables, the Marathon of the Sands, Alps to Ocean, South Africa's Comrades Ultra, and more recently, the Mustang Mountain Trail in Nepal. She's also the founder of colourful activewear brand, Flancy. Hey, Nikki, how are you? I'm fine, how are you? I'm all right, but you are just getting over some more ultra runs that you've done quite recently. Do you want to tell me a little bit about those? So I got back from Nepal just under two weeks ago having run the um, Mustang Trail Ultra, which was an eight-day high-altitude staged race of about 115 miles. And it was absolutely amazing. It sounds incredible. And Nepal isn't the first overseas ultra you've done either, is it? You've done a lot of this kind of running. Do you want to talk me through maybe some of the other amazing ultras that you've done over the years? Yes, sure. So I love a multi-day stage event. Uh, I just I just love the camaraderie on me. So I've done several now. The first one being the Marathon de Sable in Morocco. And I then did the Trans-Britain Ultra in the UK, which was from Gretna Green to Ruthin, North Wales. I've done the Grand to Grand Ultra in America, which was from the base of the Grand, sorry, not the base of the Grand, the rim of the Grand Canyon to the Grand State case up in Utah. I've done the Alps to Ocean Ultra in New Zealand, which was actually along a, a cycleway called the Alps to Ocean Cycleway, although we did some detouring up into the mountains. Um, and that was from the base of Mount Cook to Omaru on the South Island. Um, I Last year in September, I did the Atacama Desert Ultra with um, a company called Racing the Planet. And then obviously I've just come back from Nepal. And I have the next one already in the diary. (laughs) And it's just amazing how many multi-day races you've done. And there must be some kind of appeal to you um, to go away and do a run. Is is that something that you're quite passionate about, going and seeing new places? It's a great way to see the world. Because when you do these races, you actually have access to parts of the countryside that Joe Public does not have access to. So, for example, when we did the Grand to Grand Ultra, we started at the rim of the Grand Canyon, but it was on a private farm, so there were absolutely zero tourists there. And uh, we had the whole afternoon and dinner on the edge of the canyon, just just the group, basically, and it was just amazing. And you know, crossing private lands that people don't have access to, and just being able to see things that that, that people generally cannot get to see. And I think that's the appeal. And I've always loved traveling anyway, so why not um, combine two of your passions, which are running and travel? Absolutely. And I think, like you say, running, you know, this way, you get to see parts of the world that you wouldn't ordinarily see. Um, How how big generally are the groups um, that you go away with to do these runs? Are they pretty big or is it just quite a select number of people? Quite variable, actually. So the largest group was with American de Sablo. There were 1,200 runners, which was too big, really, because you never really got to meet anybody apart from your campmates or your tent mates and maybe the tent behind you. And then the smallest one I did was the Trans-Britain Ultra, which was a mere 12 runners, which was fantastic. She got to know everyone very, very well. 
Um, but it's variable. When I did um, America, New Zealand and Chile, they were all around about 120, 150 people. And then Nepal, again, we were down to 33 runners. And that was really because of the accommodation and um, logistics. We were staying in very, very basic tea houses in teeny tiny little villages way up in the mountains with no roads. So they can obviously only take a number of people where they can uh, provide accommodation for. So again, a small group, but I much prefer the small groups. And I suppose with those small groups as well, Nikki, you kind of form bonds with people that you might not form if it's something like, say, the Marathon de Sable, for example. Do you find that you make better friendships when they're those smaller groups of runners? I would say so, yes, because you're thrown in together. You're forced to speak to people that you wouldn't normally speak to. So, for example, um, in Nepal, we had three seriously good top Nepalese runners in our group. And these are people I wouldn't normally mix with because, you know, they are super elite runners. But we were all together, all eating together, having cups of tea together. And you really got to know them as human beings and regular people, despite them having these most amazing running talents. And that was what is so fantastic about these these runs. And again, we had a pilot up to um, um, a medicine salts frontier consultant to an author. And so all sorts of walks of life. Again, you're on this run in Nepal, and it's just amazing to be able to mix with people with such interesting backgrounds that you wouldn't normally meet. And do you find that you learn quite a few tips for your ultra running um, yes. when you come away? <laughs> you know, from that there's like you say, there's the elites, and then there's maybe the people that haven't done that many ultras, perhaps. But you must come away with new tips and, and ways that people run a race that you possibly hadn't thought of before. Is there anything that you've learnt on these ultras that you can share with us now? Yeah, I mean, it's funny because you learn how to do things and also how absolutely not to do things as well. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you can learn from both ends of the spectrum. Um, we had a, a lovely lady on the, the run with us. She's quite a well-known um, nutritionist in the UK. In fact, she does all the nutrition for Damien Hall, uh, a lady called Rini MacDonald. And um, she's written several books on nutrition. And she was absolutely fascinating to listen to about how to manage nutrition while doing multi-day events. In fact, I'm going to buy her one of her latest books. And she was, you know, she was really interesting to learn how to feed properly and what have you, because I, I don't always get everything right. Um, and then there were, at the other end of the spectrum, those people that, um, bearing in mind that we were running at altitude, that incredibly good runners, but just take off way too fast and just don't know how to self-manage themselves. Because when you're doing a, a, a multi-day stage race, it's all about self-management. And so often it's the hare and the, um, the tortoise. <laughs> and it's not always the hare that comes out on top in these things. And uh, that, was, that proved to be the case in this, this race I've just done. And we've spoken before, Nikki. We know each other quite well, don't we? And you've mm, often yeah. said to me and I've said to you that we are kind of, we are the tortoise out of the hare and the tortoise. We we're the back of the pack runners. But that doesn't yeah. necessarily mean that we can't get to that finish line, does it? Absolutely not. How is your, what, what is your style of running and, and how would you describe it to people listening? <laughs> I'm one of these people that I do these things completely for enjoyment. I am not there to win. I'm there to have a fantastic time, meet lots of people, see beautiful scenery and take lots of photographs. And um, that's what I'm all about. I um, I love encouraging people to have a go. 
these events might attract elite runners, but if you're reasonably fit and have got a very, very strong mind, I think anybody can get through these things. It's it just literally one foot in front of the other, making sure you look after yourself, have a good sense of humour, a good attitude, and I think that most people can actually do these events. Um, I mean, you're busy training at the moment for the spine, and I know you're going to finish it because you've got that sort of good attitude. Um, you know, you don't have to be the fittest person out there. Uh, not, sorry, not the spine, the dragon's back. Dragon's back race. Yeah, um, I know. Let's not. I'm trying not to think about it too yeah. much, but thanks for reminding me. A lot me. of this is about having good attitude and going in there, you know, not expecting to win because we don't go to these things to expect to win. We just want to finish them and finish them with a big smile on our faces. And I think a lot of good attitude um, and things like that help people get through. So I think these a lot of these events are there for everybody, but people are just too scared to try them. And that's a really positive message because, you know, these events are for everybody, aren't they? And I know they that are. you personally have run well over 100 marathons, which has put you in the in the 100 Marathon Club. And you're going to have to remind me of the statistics, but you got there with something like the most number of miles run, didn't you? Yeah, so I got into the 100 Marathon Club, oh, crikey, I think it was 2018, 2019, something like that. And I'm the UK women's record holder for running the most miles to actually qualify to go into the club. So obviously the minimum miles that you can do to get into the club is 2,620, whatever it is. (laughs) And I think I did about 3,800. It's purely because I do so many ultramarathons. And because you love them. I and do. not because you necessarily have to win them, but because you go and you, you just enjoy it, which is a message that I'm really keen on spreading, um, that people, you know, it doesn't really matter about your, your base fitness level to start with, but you can get there. You can achieve it with a good mindset, Absolutely. can't you? Absolutely. The thing is with an ultra, I find, especially I, I, I tend to do mainly cross-country running, as you know, um, I find the pressure is not there as much as, say, a road marathon, um, where, you know, you've, you've genuinely got a quite a strict cutoff, not necessarily something like London, but the majority of road marathons have cutoffs, which immediately puts pressure onto people. Um, and if you look at race photographs, most people on road marathons, I think they look as miserable as sin. They look like they're having <laughs> the worst time of their lives. But if you look at people doing cross-country ultramarathons, Everyone's smiling and jumping and having the best day out ever. And that's just what I love so much. So I find that, you know, a 50 mile ultra in the countryside on a beautiful sunny day is so much more achievable and enjoyable to me than going out and having to run around Manchester or whatever in four and a half hours where it's just pressure. That's just how I see it. I mean, I might not be right, but that's just what I think. Well, I'll pick you up on that because my first mar- my first road marathon um, and probably last road marathon actually would have been in 2009 when I did London Marathon. Mm. And just like you said, I remember finishing London Marathon and thinking, oh, like, is is that it? That was a bit of an anticlimax. I think I grimaced throughout the whole thing. I know, you know, so many thousands of people absolutely love the London Marathon and it's a brilliant, brilliant yeah. race. But you actually introduced me to trail running, really, and ultra running. And I remember we did my first ultra marathon together, which was the Salisbury 54321. I don't know if you remember I it. I certainly do. I was and- the whole way round. We laughed and smiled the whole way. There was jumping. There was a lot of eating, I remember. I mean, gosh, it took me a long time um, and you dragged me around it. But I had the best day out. And 
for me, that was such a world away from that road marathon yeah. that I'd endured all those years ago. And that kind of flipped a switch in my brain. So it's something obviously that you're very passionate about. Mm-hmm. Um, is, is that something that you'd say to people who perhaps haven't tried trail running or ultra running that actually it's easier than you think? I do. And I'm a strong advocate for that because so many people, I, th- they, I think they just hear the word ultra marathon and they immediately think, oh my God, I can't possibly do that because maybe I've done one or two marathons before and the thought of doing an, another step beyond 26.2 miles fills them with horror. But it depends on their first experience. If it has been a road marathon, it's just so different to being outside in the countryside on the hills. And of course, the aid stations on ultras are usually fantastic. They're just movable picnics. So you can, you know, you can walk all the hills, you can trot the flats and the downs, and you can fill your boots at the aid stations. I mean, it's brilliant. And I find trail runners so much happier than road runners. I just do. <laughs> it's because we eat more, I think. I think so. Um, can yeah. you tell me a little bit about your kind of, I say nutrition plan very loosely because I know that we just like to kind of stuff our faces a little bit on the <laughs> trails, but do you have any um, foods that you particularly like to eat or is there anything that you would recommend to ultra runners that you, you think uh, are important things to take on during a race? During a race. So um, my preferred drink or powder in my bottles is Active Root which is a ginger-based drink, and um, it's got all your electrolytes in, uh, it's got your sugars, your salts, and what have you. I like Active Root because it's not too sweet, but it has got flavour, and it's got everything that I need. And also, if you're prone to tummy upsets, I think the ginger in it really does settle the stomach. So that is most definitely my go-to drink of choice in my bottles. Food-wise, if I'm carrying my own food, I will often make things, I, I, I tend to prefer salty stuff. So I'll take things like pepperami, Marmite sandwiches, um, salted peanuts, salted crisps, um, biltong. So I, I definitely favour your more salty things. I'm not really a sweet person when it comes to um, the long distance running. I mean, if, if there is fruit on offer at the aid stations, I, I often, you know, I love a piece of orange or watermelon. That seems to slip down well, but I tend to veer away from the, the cakes and the sweets because I just find that um, it just doesn't sit well with me. I just I'm much prefer the salty stuff. And there's nothing better than at the end of an ultra to have a big fat pint of cider. <laughs> I was just going to ask you actually um, before the cider, with all the salty stuff that you're eating during a run, do you do you find that you have to then up your uh, hydration because you obviously are eating all that salt that maybe you need to kind of flush some of it out, or or do you find that your body just really needs that salt because you're you know the amount you're sweating during the run? I, to be honest, Laura, I haven't actually noticed that I drink anymore. I I tend to drink regularly anyway, so I try and have a, a sip or two every couple of minutes, maybe five or six minutes. Sure. Because um, once you're once you feel thirsty, it's obviously too late. So I tend not to get thirsty on these runs. I think just purely because I am sipping constantly. Um, yeah, but I suppose yeah, if it's a hot day, you're going to naturally drink more anyway. I do sweat quite a bit, especially as I tend to wear a, a small backpack on anything beyond an hour's run. So, you know, your back gets really, really sweaty with the backpack on there. So 
Yeah, and it's re- it's really easy to forget to drink, isn't it? So I think if you've got it in your head that you you know you take a sip, like you say, every every couple of miles or so, or you know just keep keep at it. Yeah. Um. E- even if you don't want to, really, that hydration is is super important. Winter, I find it more difficult to drink, and I think because it's colder, you don't tend to feel as thirsty. So it's more in the winter time. I really have to remind myself to drink, whereas in the summer it just comes more naturally. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying there. I think you you forget that you think almost your body doesn't need it because yeah, you're a lot you cooler. Yeah. Um, I know in summer I I just feel like I can never carry enough water actually, yeah. or you know, um, a, a sports drink or whatever it is. Yeah. But you just need to keep getting it down you. You do. So we know obviously how much you love your ultras, but um, there's another kind of running side to you, I suppose, that we need to talk about, which is that you recent, quite recently set up um, your own company called Flancy, yeah. didn't you? Which um, makes uh, running sports gear, for want of a better word. And yeah. your reasoning behind it is because you really don't like running in black. So tell us a bit about Flancy and how that all came about. <laughs> So, uh, um, yes, I love a bit of colour. No one ever said to anybody, I love your black leggings. (laughs) And um, for those of you know, for those people that run, uh, you know, big city marathons and you have your race photographs, it's quite difficult to pick people out when everyone's wearing black. But if you're wearing something really bright and colourful, some of us pick you out and you can come home with some fantastic photographs. But um, I've always been rather partial to a sport. And I used to buy my sports from a company in America. Um, the quality wasn't terribly good and they were very, very short. Um, I've got quite chunky legs, so I, I prefer my shorts a little bit longer and I prefer my skirts to cover my bum properly. And um, there, are some, there are some very good skirts on the market in the UK, but again, I think they're mainly for skinny minis or those with very slim legs, which is not me. So um, we launched Lancy Active Wear at the National Running Show in 2019, mainly with our skirts, but obviously leggings, capris, shorts um, were in there as well. And, um, yeah, um, our friend Jan Olive, who you're very good friends with as well, is our designer who does all our patterns for us and they're completely bespoke to us. And um, we've gone from strength to strength and the sport still remains our biggest seller by quite a long way. What I really love about Flancy is the fact that you saw a problem, for want of a better word, in, in your running career, as in you felt that there wasn't enough choice on yeah. the market you know, for your needs and your ultra running. Yeah. So rather than kind of keep scouring, you know, the internet or looking in stores, you just thought, do you know what? I'm going to make this myself. And because you are an ultra runner and because you know exactly how it works and how your body feels and what you need to be wearing, you've kind of come up with a solution to something that I think a lot of runners were, were having a problem with. Yeah. No, I agree with you. I mean, We've developed the products as well based on runners' needs. For example, when we first launched, we only had a zip back pocket for a key or a credit card because most people were running with backpacks. And uh, we gradually developed to a thigh pocket and then to two thigh pockets and um, we've adjusted the length of the shorts and the skirts according to what our customer wants. And, um, yeah, we try and develop with with what people want and obviously what I find comfortable as well. But I've done uh, many an ultra in in Flancy Scorts now without any issues whatsoever. In fact, uh, I wore only Flancy on the bottom half uh, in Nepal recently. And when I did, when I did, um, yes, Karma Crossing last year, I wore exactly the same sport the whole, the whole race because um, obviously they, it's very difficult to carry clothing. And, um, yeah, no chafing at all. Very, very comfortable. Five pockets perfect for my phone and, um, tissues and what have, whatever it is that you need while you're out there. 
And you stood out in the photos as well, which is I, also a bonus. Photographers <laughs> always said they could see me coming a mile off, so I got some cracking photographs. Brilliant. So the thing that I guess is a bit of a puzzle maybe for some people is, is how do you run your own business, uh, you know, which is hugely successful? And how do you also get in time to do all your training for these epic events as well? How, how do they kind of run alongside each other? For, uh, excuse uh-huh. me. <laughs> You're right, the business is very busy at the moment. So I think my training is actually suffering, um, which is why I'm always at the back third of the pack enjoying myself because I'm, <laughs> I'm just not quick enough and I don't have time to train properly to be in the middle of the pack, which is where I used to sit. But um, again, for me, it's more about the enjoyment than winning. So, you know, as long as I do the bare minimum training that I feel I can get away with um, without absolutely hating an event, I, I try and do that. So um, I'm supposed to be doing a 50 miler next week because I've got this stinking cold at the moment. I probably won't do it, but unless I have a miraculous turnaround. But if I do feel better by Wednesday, I will be going out and doing the 50 miles. It will be slow and it won't be pretty. But um, yeah, it will be slow and I will enjoy it. And um, it's not a very hilly one, so I will go out there and enjoy it. Um, and that's what it's all about with me is, you know, even if you're having a, a tough time out there and you're not properly trained, just go a little bit slow and find somebody else to chat to and you can drag each other around. And it's amazing when you're chatting to someone on the way around how quickly the miles disappear. Absolutely. Is there a kind of a, a look to your training program from week to week or is it a little bit ad hoc? Do you just do training when you can fit it in or do you follow some kind of program, Nikki? I don't tend to follow a set program, so it is a little bit ad hoc the moment I, I mean I always do try and get one long run in for weekends if possible I do do a few weights at home I occasionally go on the stationary bike at home and we've got a dog as you know so I do quite a lot of dog walking so I'm probably walking 10 miles a week with Billy and um, if I can I'll try and do some hill work as well so it is ad hoc but it is sort of a loose plan as well if you see what I mean. Yeah and I think it's important to share with people that you know, we we talk about these top runners and they have very strict training plans and they're almost, you know, a lot of them doing it as a career as well. And that looks very different to how, you know, a working person yeah. can fit these things into their day. But it, it doesn't mean that you can't achieve the same goal, albeit maybe a little bit slower. Yeah. It just means you have to really tailor your training to your to your life, doesn't it? Exactly. But it, it's still entirely possible to fit in bits where you can and still maintain a certain level of fitness? Absolutely. I mean, if I was a little bit more um, strict with myself, I would probably get up at five in the morning and go for my longer runs, but um, I quite like my bed in the morning. (laughs) Don't Um, we all? (laughs) Yeah. uh, There there are certainly, even if you're a busy working mum or a working person, there are definitely ways that if you put your mind to it, you can make time to do anything that you like. Agreed. Absolutely. Um, I think it needs to be told, actually, Nikki, the the story about how you actually got into running marathons in the first place. Maybe we should have started with this, but um, tell me the story behind what made you run your first marathon. So my dad and my stepmother um, were living in South Africa or Swaziland, and um, I was over there visiting them on holiday. This is, oh gosh, I was about 23. And uh, my stepmom was running a marathon one weekend, and I just happened to pass a comment to my dad saying, oh, I bet I could run a marathon. And he said, I bet you couldn't. So I got back to England from my holiday and thought, gosh, I better do something about this running a marathon then. So I picked up the runner's world 
and um, entered the London Marathon because back in those days it was just a matter of filling out the paper entry form and a week before the race you got your number in the post you popped off to London and did it. So um, I went, I did some training um, from never ever having run a step in my life apart from the forced, um, forced sports days at school. I decided one day to go and do um, a run. So I bought myself some running shoes and off I tooled and thought, yeah, I'm going to go and run two or three miles. And I got to the end of the road and nearly died. Um, so I realised this was going to be a little bit harder than I thought. And I started off running one lamppost, walking one, run one, walk one, and then gradually run two, walk one, until I could run a mile. And still to this day, the, the day I first ran a mile without stopping is one of the most memorable runs of my life. I'm so proud of that day, and I can still tell you exactly the route. Um, but within three months, I entered a half marathon, and I did it in two hours, 21, and came flat last. And I didn't care. I was just completely elated to have done this half marathon. And then within a year, I did London and did London in four hours, 41. And, um, yeah, that was my, that was my running, how it started. Um, after the London marathon, I did take my running shoes off and did not put them back on again for two years. But, um, <laughs> we eventually got them back on again. Is that because you didn't enjoy the marathon that you did the first time round? Or did you just think, gosh, I've trained so hard for this now. I'm going to take a break. What, why did you? kind of have that break of two years I actually really enjoyed the marathon I teamed up with a, an Italian chap and um, we ran the whole way together and dragged each other around um, I really enjoyed the day um, but I think when I finished it I just couldn't be bothered to go out and run anymore um, I, you know, I ticked the box I'd won the bet although my dad has still not paid me the wager um, <laughs> and um, yeah I just sort of you know done that I've been there done that achieved what I'd intended to achieve but the thing my weight started piling on afterwards so that's what drove me to run another London marathon a couple of years later. I mean from going from one London marathon to all these ultras that you now have under your belt and let's face it some of the world's most well-known ultras as well Mm. you know that's quite a big leap you must have had to ramp up your running to (laughs) you know an extent that beforehand you possibly would never have foreseen how how did that happen you know did you just suddenly think one day right this is it I'm just going to go out running every day or was it gradually I I just gradually started doing marathons without even realizing how many I'd actually done and of course it was you know I did Paris I did Dublin and um, things like that so it was always incorporated into a holiday but um, I saw a documentary on channel four about the marathon to Sabla oh gosh, it must be about 15 years ago now. And I thought, wow, you know, I didn't even know that these sort of events existed. I thought, that looks great. So on the Monday morning, I contacted the MDS organisers and got my name down onto the waiting list. And then I thought, I've really got to do some serious running now. So I started entering um, the three, three-day three multi-days that they have in the UK. So I did the, the Druids, I did the Pilgrims. Um, I did the Atlantic Coastal Challenge and the Jurassic Coastal Challenge, which are all three-day, uh, three-day multi-dayers. And, um, and they were all cross-country, and I absolutely loved them. And I thought, you know, I just suddenly saw that there was life beyond road running. And, um, you know, the dirtier and the muddier, the better. And I just absolutely loved it. And that's when I really decided to start doing a lot more running than I was doing previously. And the Hundred Marathon Club, that just sort of, came about by accident really somebody just said to me was I aiming for the 100 marathon club and I said but I wasn't they said well you must be nearly at the 100 marathons and I didn't have a clue how many marathons I'd actually done 
So I did the map and I think I was on about 72, which really shocked me. And that, that includes the ultras as well. And that's when I decided to go for the 100 Marathon Club. So um, just I'm on 122 now, I think. Gosh, wow. That's amazing. <laughs> and you said that the muddier and dirtier and tougher the race was or is, the more you love it. Is that because you feel like you really have to challenge yourself to get that high now? I think so. And they're just so much more fun. And I think that the filthy, dirty, muddy, tough races don't attract that many people. And um, I don't like the massive crowds of, you know, big road runs. So I think that's also the appeal is that you've got smaller events, more personal, you get to know people. And um, they're just so much more fun. No one gives, you know, damn what you look like or where you come, but you just got to go out there and have a good time. It's definitely a leveler, isn't it? Running an ultra. Yeah, you, you meet so many different types of people. Like you said before, on your multi-day events, you meet people from all walks of life, from all levels and abilities. And yet you are all put together and you all have to rub along and get on with it. And yeah, it really does level the playing field, which is certainly why I love ultra running. I think the people make it. Absolutely. And I also think it, make, I think it makes you appreciate the, the, the small things in life like a hot shower, um, you know, a hot cup of tea, just little things, uh, putting on a pair of clean socks. It's just little things like that that remind you that, you know, you don't need all these expensive, you know, fantastic ways of life to actually have a good time, but you appreciate the smaller things in life when you go back to basics. Certainly find that with the big multi-days. Sure. So on, on a multi-day event then, Nikki, if you can take one thing with you that would be your kind of little luxury for the race, what, what kind of thing would that be? It's always the same thing. And it's always one of those little tiny miniature cans of deodorant. Oh, so you smell good. I might, well, I smell good or it just covers a multitude of sins because <laughs> you actually don't shower on these things for a whole week. That's no, that's a really good point. <laughs> Yeah, that that's actually I would never have thought of that, to be honest with you. I'm, yeah. I'm trying to think what mine is. I think it's a, a dry pair of socks. Um, I usually take two or three pairs of socks. So yeah, you alternate them and then there's usually a, a, a wet pair hanging on the back of your pack that you've rinsed through. Yeah. Or, or maybe a, for me as well, maybe a, a mini like face moisturizer. I think that would be good. Absolutely. Because you get really dry and some and wind burnt, don't you, you on do. these things? You do. It's the small things that make you smile. Totally. Yeah. Um, amazing. So you, you're kind of an old hand at, at these ultra runs now, Nikki. You've done so many, uh, hundreds yeah. and hundreds of races. If somebody came to you now, like I did back in the early days and said, I, uh, I may be thinking about doing an ultra, but I'm not very confident. You know, I remember you took me under your wing. You said, yeah, you can do this. What What would you say to somebody who was perhaps taking their first steps into ultra training? What would you advise them to do in the first instance? To go in with the right attitude and make sure that they're going to enjoy it. Because if they're going to go out there and hate it, there's no point. Um, you need to, don't do it, don't tick the ultra box just because you fancy it. Do it because you really want to have a go at it and go in with the right mental attitude and just enjoy your training and enjoy the day. And is there any kind of training tips you could give somebody um, who's, who's if first If you're going to be doing out? a trail um, ultra, get out there on the hills and do some hill work because, my God, it makes your life so much easier. Um, I've done a few hilly runs now where I've been under-trained and it's such hard work. I mean, it's sweet relief at the end. And at the end of it, you think, wow, I'm so glad I finished it. You know, 
I don't know if I had an enjoyable time. I mean, you've always enjoyed it a week later when the pain's gone, but do some hill work. Definitely get out there, whether it's walking hills or just doing some basic hill training. That's my biggest advice. Here, here. Well, you're talking to somebody training for a very hilly run. Uh, yes. the dragon's back so I'm I'm basically there now I'm doing that hill training and yeah. it, it's amazing actually from you know coming from the lowlands um yeah. on the levels of Somerset that you know we have very few hills around here but the more hills you get under your belt the easier the flats are for sure you suddenly think you, you feel like you're flying don't you suddenly yeah. Um, yeah. So I totally echo that advice that that hill training is a real a real boon <coughs> to anyone who wants to to run an ultra. You, Absolutely. You talked at the beginning, Nikki. You said you had something penciled in the diary for for next year. I think it is. What what's your next plan for your big ultra? <laughs> well, I've paid the deposit already. So next year in August, I'm going out to Romania to do the ultra race of Romania, which is um, again a, a seven day um, stage race up in Transylvania. So um, it's got quite a lot of elevation, that one. I think we've got 1,300 metres of elevation across these seven days, which is extremely high. That's very hilly. (laughs) Yeah, we did 11,000 metres of elevation in Nepal, which um, was was tough, although that was at altitude. But Romania is going to be extremely tough as well, especially as we have to carry everything on our back for that race because it is a self-sufficient one, non-supported. But it should be beautiful. And we won't be at altitude and um, it's in August. So the weather should be fantastic, albeit a little bit warm. But um, my advice to myself is get some hill training in. (laughs) Definitely. Look, you've done so many different races and it must be really hard to choose just one. But if you were to pick your top ultra marathon, what would it be? Oh, crikey. Um, Top road ultra would have to be the comrades marathon because obviously road is very very different to trail so road would have to be the comrades in south africa i've completed that four times and mainly because it's the roads are closed for the race it's um the atmosphere is just absolutely incredible it is a large road race but it's just got the most amazing atmosphere and uh, because i was brought up in southern africa it, it holds a place in my heart um as far as all the races I've done, what is my favourite? Well, for the moment, my favourite's got to be the Mustang Trail Launcher, probably because it's still so fresh in my mind and I just thought it was the most incredible race. It was absolutely jaw-droppingly beautiful. The toughest race I have ever, ever done. But the organisation was absolutely amazing. Um, we couldn't want for anything. The support we had was superb. We didn't have to carry anything except our day packs, which was a real bonus. And um, it was just just absolutely fantastic. And the company I went with actually do a, another race in the pool called the Manaslu Trail Ultra. And surprise, surprise, I'm actually looking at that one now as my one after Romania. <laughs> that is no surprise. And one thing no. I will say about you, Nikki, is every time you do one of these races, you come back and you tell me it, it was the toughest race you've ever done. <laughs> so <laughs> either they're getting harder or you just can't remember the others. <laughs> Probably a bit of that as well. Absolutely. Well, look, I'm really excited that you've put your name down for Romania next year because um, that sounds phenomenal. Um, well, I think you should come with us. Well, who knows? Let me see if I'm still um, in one piece after the Dragon's Back race because that, that may break me. Um, 
that's definitely at the forefront of my mind, just trying to trying to survive that one at the minute. But um, we'll no doubt go on some phenomenal training runs together before that. So um, it would be nice to catch up with you then. And maybe we can talk a bit more about running when, when we're uh, out on the trails together. You will. Nikki, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. You're a phenomenon. And, uh, you know, I'm in awe of how many marathons and ultras that you've run. Um, please keep running and look forward to speaking to you very soon. Thanks, Laura. Pleasure. Take care. Bye bye. Thanks so much for listening and don't forget to leave a review for the Vegan Fitness Runner podcast. Please subscribe if you don't want to miss an episode and remember you can find out more about all my guests and further information on all the topics covered over on the website veganfitnessrunner.com. Thanks again and bye for now.